So let's go on to our topic. Uh, ooh, topic topic. Uh, coffee topic. So let's go on to our top. Uh, oh my gosh, <laughs> let's go on. On. <laughs> on this episode of the Pour Over, Joe and Dill discuss the mayhem that ensues in episode two of season one of Westworld, and dive into the full-bodied question of what's your favorite brew method? Will it be drip, French press, or shall I say pour over? Stay tuned and find out. Hey friends, welcome to the Pour Over podcast, hosted by myself, Dill, and Joe. Each week we bring you our thoughts on a certain episode of a TV show, and most importantly, chit-chat about the very thing so many of us depend on each morning, coffee. So, how's it going? It's pretty good, man. Excited to talk about Westworld and um, our favorite brew method. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you have any good brews this week? Uh, this week, yeah. So since it's hot and it's the summer, I've been making cold brew. Um, oh. Also, I I bought these beans that actually didn't taste very good. Um, so usually when I do that, I make some cold brew um, just because it helps it taste a little bit better, uh, even yeah. if the bean isn't as good. So yeah, that's uh, kind of what I've been drinking most of the week, and it's been pretty good. Nice. Not to throw any shade at your... Um beans but what are they <laughs> um they're from a local roaster here in plano where oh. i live uh yeah it's one of those where when i first walked in i was like oh, this gotta be too good to be true um so you know usually i pay about uh from anywhere from 15 to 17 dollars for a bag of coffee and mm-hmm. um it was the same price but the bag was twice as big so i was like mm-hmm. oh okay it's a pretty good deal i'm gonna check it yeah. out and yeah I, I drank it and i was like i tried to give it a chance and i was like nah this isn't <laughs> this isn't working for me and so then i just basically ground up the whole bag and made it into some cold brew oh man yeah i'm always wary about buying like those 24 ounce packs uh-huh. or like the really big ones because you know that's a commitment like that's gonna be like a one to two month commitment. <laughs> yeah, but man, it's just so expensive to to have a coffee hobby. But you know, it the, yeah. the money actually makes a difference in the beans for sure. For sure, for sure. Um, I I haven't been very lucky lately with my brews. Um, actually, the last time I made coffee was on um Wednesday. Oh. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if I maybe like. Uh, I'm not sure if I want to try again or like. Maybe I'm lacking confidence. I don't know. But that brew was so bad. Oh. I I didn't want to make another one this week. Um, but those beans were old. Um, I think they were roasted like maybe two months ago. Oh my goodness. Um, yeah. So I think uh, there's definitely a difference with old versus freshly roasted coffee mm-hmm. and particularly i think the window I mean, specifically i think the window is like is it six weeks yeah from the roast date is best um, I, i've heard different things so um so i know uh blue bottle coffee pretty big um, coffee company they brew all their coffee within 48 hours of roasting um, but I've also heard mm. from other um, online sources that you should wait like a week so that it can kind of degas a little bit. So I'm not really sure. Right. But yeah, usually people say around yeah, like four to six weeks after is when it starts to go stale. Um, so that I think mm-hmm. is generally agreed upon. So mm-hmm. yeah. 
Yeah, and I would love to pick your brain about um, stale coffee and um, what that flavor profile is because for me, um, it honestly, you mentioned coffee, um, good coffee having that one week to let it degas a little bit. What's ironic is I feel like stale coffee almost has a very airy, gassy profile. Like it's stale to the point where it, when you drink it, you taste like you're it. You, it tastes like you're drinking like stale air, uh-huh. and it's just very flat and almost like musky. Mm. Um, yeah, it's been pretty bad for me. <laughs> so, man, I, I could actually I could go for some mediocre cold brew right now. Yeah, dude. Well, actually, I just drank it all, so no more for you or for me. Uh, Darn. Yeah. So you just haven't drank coffee since Wednesday? Oh, I haven't made my own. I've I've uh, uh, I've had coffee. Okay, of course, of course. Yeah. You know, can't yeah. Can't go without. You know. And I, right. we're re- recording this on a Sunday too, by the way, just so <laughs> people have context there. That that would be a long time. Yes. Yes. It's um, like four days. Yeah. Have you heard of Bulletproof Coffee before? Uh, no, I actually haven't. I don't think so. So Bulletproof Coffee was introduced to me by a friend in college who I, I don't really think he's a coffee drinker per se, mm-hmm. but he um, is a gamer. He studies a lot and he really needed something at the time to keep him awake and also kind of make him feel good. And Bulletproof Coffee came out with this combination of coffee and butter. At the time, it was very interesting. Like, you would blend their coffee, their specialty coffee, with also, I think, either their specialty butter or a, like, grass-fed butter. And what you end up making is, like, this super creamy latte-like drink, which I believe they said was something that, like Tibetan monks drank or (laughs) just something really ancient and like special. Um, And I think from that point they kind of blew up and um, they became this whole lifestyle company. And I saw this article recently and I I sent it to you a little bit before the show saying that this company Bulletproof is now a $69 million company and they claim to be the millennials Starbucks. Um, I think it's kind of ironic because Starbucks is very much millennial yeah, in nature. exactly. But uh, I think they want to do more. They make all sorts of different products. Um, some are coffee-centered, so like their own specialty beans. But also they make, or also they sell um, their like own coffee gear, um, other nutritional supplements, and merchandise. And they even have some tech stuff like, I think they sell like, like recreational tech stuff like for camping and stuff what um yeah so it's just it's just a really interesting company really weird wait and, so, uh, so, so let's let's go back to that butter thing did, did you try that yeah i did i did actually uh i didn't buy their coffee uh-huh. uh, of course because you know i'm like really skeptical yeah i had my own coffee and i tried to blend the butter and it just ended up being this huge mess like there was like butter fat everywhere and like the coffee blended with the butter nicely like it looked kind of like a chai kind of Uh deal but ultimately i would say it was a fail and it tasted yeah it tasted weird Mm. 
It tasted mm. it tasted really weird. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I usually drink my coffee black anyways, so I don't even add milk. So like adding butter to it just like that's weird. I, right. I just imagine you like getting a stick of butter and your hot coffee and you just like put it in and stir it a few times or something. I'm like, nah. Yeah, and it just doesn't melt, it just like stays there. It's like a <laughs> stick. And you're like, oh man, I should have made my coffee hotter, but you can't really do that. Yeah, that's weird. And it's also just super weird. Like, it's, it's called Bulletproof Coffee, but they make so many things, more things other than coffee. I don't know. That's kind of interesting. Yeah. I guess yeah. it's working for them. It, I don't know. I guess so. I mean, there's like the whole yoga phase and stuff right now, right? Like the mindfulness, the yoga, and their, their, um, their little mascot slash logos like I, I think this uh this guy in like a meditation pose oh okay yeah i don't know i, I took a look at that article you sent over um and we'll, we'll put a link in the notes but um the author of it didn't seem to have a very high view of bulletproof coffee either um mm-hmm. at the end he basically kind of tore down I, I don't know if that's like their mission statement or whatever like their about us um section on their website and just like all these random things where he basically just tore into him is like this is just making up a problem that doesn't actually exist and saying that you're the solution so mm. it seemed like um mm-hmm. this coffee news website at least um doesn't have a very high view of bulletproof Mm-hmm. yeah yeah i mean i think they're definitely targeting the same people that would go to starbucks snobs like us probably would <laughs> see through that really easily yeah, it makes me want to try it though. To be honest, um, but I don't. Really, <laughs> we should. Yeah, we we could. That that could be a part of the show. We try different, not good coffee. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just don't want to commit yeah. to a whole bag. I don't know what I do with it after trying it. We could split it, or um, you could find Curtis and just give give the rest to him. <laughs> is, is that who gave it to you? <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, he, he well he told me about it um i'm not sure if he actually bought any but he was like super sold on bulletproof coffee yeah he's gonna listen to this and be like wait wait a second it's like joe you outed me bro that's <laughs> <laughs> all love is fine curtis uh, right right we plug in you bro yeah, and he's drinking the bulletproof right now like whatever like five years later he's like yeah i love it <laughs> it changed my life yeah. Anything else? Any new coffee pickups? Any great coffee shop experiences lately? Not in particular. Um, I actually don't go to shops very much, mm. partially because I'm cheap, to be honest. True, um, true. Because like we said, coffee's already expensive, and making it at home is just, uh, well, a little bit more enjoyable. I mean, it doesn't taste as good, I guess. But yeah, yeah not, not not too much. I, I mostly, I, I was I had high hopes for that, for that bag of beans. Um, but it looks yeah. like I'm going to have to go back um, to the tried and true uh, around here in Dallas. Usually Oak Cliff Coffee is a big one um, that I buy all the mm-hmm. time. And there are a couple others too, but I think that's one of the biggest ones. But what about you, man? Great coffee shop experience. Um, I, maybe for another segment or another time in our um, episode, I'd like to share about the Geisha Coffee experience I oh, had. Oh, yeah. In Japan, yeah, that was really sweet. But other than that, uh, no, not really any great coffee experiences lately. I did pick up uh, a bag of Ethiopian Yerg when I was in Taiwan, so oh. I'll probably switch to that tomorrow before I go to work. 
just so um yeah just so i have a fresh bag of coffee oh, interesting do you have you bought beans internationally before um no this would actually be my first time because okay. i had not been interested in coffee previously oh, when i was overseas okay. that, that makes sense yeah i'm yeah. curious to know what, what coffee is like around the world but it's because we we buy yerg all the time i feel like over here but then mm-hmm. you know if they also source it source it from a similar place but then roast it differently based on the different right tastes um so it'd be interesting. Well, it's funny. It's funny because um, the guy that when I when I asked about Yurk, I was like, "Oh, crap! Like I, I love Yurk. Yurk is like really popular mm-hmm. where I'm from." And he was just like, "Oh yeah, that's that's just Ethiopian." And I was like, "Oh okay." Um, <laughs> and he's like, "Yeah, tr- try these right here." And I think they were like Kenyan or something. I can't remember what they were, but um, I think we we sell in America bags of Yurk for. It's it's usually more than um, the average bag, mm. um, cost wise. In Taipei, in this like small little shop, he was trying to sell me this other bag, or even um, teas, or or there's even like this black bean that's turned into like this um, hot drink. Oh, so I I don't know if it's a part of the coffee culture overall, or if um, if kind of he has a different um, impression about Jurg. Interesting. So, Dill, there are all sorts of ways to make coffee, um, and we haven't really quite talked much about this because this is our second episode, and we're just kind of getting into the whole coffee thing. Um, And some of the methods of brewing coffee include pour-overs, using a Chemex, French press, steeping, drip, Vietnamese, Turkish, AeroPress, mocha pot, espresso, vacuum, siphon, cold brew, soft brew, coffee bag instant coffee and there are probably even more methods if you just kind of tweak each one um what is your favorite brew method yes some of the ones you listed i haven't even heard of before but uh yeah i I don't want to out myself as a coffee noob but (laughs) um my personal kind of go-to daily brew method is a pour over um i usually use a hario v60 so that's um Mm -hmm. yeah that's just pretty popular I use that one because I think, you know, it helps brings out the different flavors, different nuances of the coffee. But um, also, one of the reasons I like coffee beyond just drinking it itself, I think, is because you make it and you can have control over the different variables. Um, So not Mm -hmm. even having to do with the coffee, but I think with pour over, you kind of have sort of the most control in that sense you know you can control how much water you pour how little water you pour and whatnot that kind of affects it so yeah i usually go with pour over um also it looks cool so i can't i cannot deny (laughs) that and it's the easiest to clean up in my opinion compared to the rest Mm -hmm. Um, i'm pretty lazy coffee if you make it if you're grinding your beans every day and doing doing that whole ritual it's already a lot of work um oh yeah and then the cleanup that's I, I just don't really want to do with that. So yeah, usually right. my go-to is the pour-over. Uh, recently, I've been using a different one from the V60. I think it's called uh, Bee House. I'm not 100% sure, but it um, mm-hmm. has two holes in the bottom, whereas the Hario has just one really big hole. So mm. um, it tastes similar. It's just the filters that they use are a lot cheaper. Um, they just use normal Melita filters that you can buy at Walmart. Whereas for yeah. Hario, I have to have to buy some specialty filters. 
But um, yeah, I like it. It's my go-to. Very simple, I feel like. Although it can, it's one of those that you can learn it as you progress in coffee too, I feel like. For sure, for sure. Is the Bee House a ceramic or like, like it, yeah, is it like a ceramic filter, uh, dripper, or is it more like a, is it plastic? Um, I think it's ceramic or like porcelain, you know, something like that. Porcelain. Yeah, so it looks cool. It's nice and red. Um, whereas my V60's glass, and actually, I think I read Ooh. that glass isn't as good of a heat um, retainer, I guess. In- insulator, um, yeah. yeah. Insulator, mm-hmm. so it kind of lets a lot of the heat out. But it's clear. You can see the coffee dripping through. I don't know. And it's just the one I bought when I got, whenever I got into coffee the first time. So I still have it. So, you know, maybe if I break it one day by sure. accident, I'll, I'll be able to buy another one. But, for sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very nice. Yeah, for me, uh, I, I, I like pour-overs for sure. It's definitely the method I go to each morning whenever I'm making coffee. I think I, you might have mentioned this, but uh, it's it's efficient as well. It's quick, reasonably quick, um, and even quicker if you have a, um automatic burr grinder. Mm-hmm. I have to hand grind mine each time so Ooh. that's kind of annoying yeah get your morning exercise yeah i know and they get a little arm workout you know get that bicep you know every every morning my favorite brew method is actually the french press oh, okay. when i get a chance yeah to brew um when i get a chance to brew it over the weekend um i feel like it just helps me really pay attention to the process and helps me Really, it gives me most of the time a better brew than mm. when I do pour overs because, you know, my schedule is pretty um, tight in the mornings. I have to, you know, get up, get ready, get my lunch for school, um, and then get the coffee. Coffee always takes priority, but always. it, yeah, always. But it's always like also like a 15 minute process. <laughs> so. And, you know, when, when I, you know, when I have time, I would rather do a French press because I think maybe I've kind of brainwashed myself to not do a good pour over because I'm always hectically or I'm always trying to, um, you know, I'm always in a rush whenever I'm doing it. So mm. I definitely like the French press. It's given me the best results every time. Nice. We, we got to sometime do a in-person taste test where you make your french press i'll make my pour over and we'll do a little little comparison there yeah a little competition yeah 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 uh so let me ask you this though for the french press how long do you uh leave it for before you i yeah that's a great question my process is pretty simple i um i tried to follow a lot of a lot of the ones online typically take you through the same process i'll pour in uh the french press and let that sit with the beans for like a minute and then i'll pour um the rest in and let that sit in there for four to five minutes okay Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i think when i was looking into it um usually it seems like the standard is four minutes or so um but I, I don't know if you saw the one, I think it was on uh, SeriousEats.com, but they have one mm-hmm. where they suggest you do it for like eight minutes or like even like 10 minutes or something oh. like that. Um, but then you okay. grind it like super coarse. Um, so, um. yeah, I don't know. It, it's just kind of interesting. 
I, I tried that one out. It actually tasted pretty good to me. Um, yeah. Yeah, so like a little bit slower, I guess, of, of uh, extraction. But mm-hmm. I don't know. The thing with the French press, though, is so hard to clean. In my opinion, at it least, is. it's just like, it uh, is. And I, I, I think I also, you know, I, I read that coffee grounds in the sink is not good, so mm-hmm. I, I just, it, it easily clogs up your pipes. So, you know, I try to get it all in the trash can, but you can't get it all in the trash can, and just like in that dilemma, mm-hmm. like, oh, that little bit left on the bottom, like, do I just pour it in the yeah. sink? What do I do? Do I just drink it? Just kidding. But you um, just pour it in the sink, dude. Yeah. Just, just pour in your sink, and then. Reap the consequences later. Yeah, just don't look back. Just enjoy the coffee and, and no worries. Right. You, you got, someone's got, something's got to give. That's true. So if you could learn and perfect any brew method, which one would it be? Ooh, interesting. And that even includes being like full on barista, uh-huh. knowing how to work an espresso press. Yeah. Um, so out of all the ones you listed, well, first, I have no idea what a soft brew is. <laughs> that, that one really, <laughs> I just that, saw I that like, on the website. The? Um, <laughs> so I don't know what that is. That'd be interesting. But um, I'd be really interested in learning how to do siphon coffee. It's just, um, mm. I've seen it. Um, I don't think I've had it, but I've just seen it in the shops. And, and it looks like you're like a chemist or something. Um, it just looks very mm. interesting. Um, mm-hmm. maybe a little bit extra and, you know, you, you pull in with yeah. your siphon and you're like, Oh, okay. Um, right. but I think I'd be really interested here? in that. It seems like even more like technical and precise than like to pour over. Like I was saying, you know, it seems like that's even mm-hmm. more involved. So I think I just want to learn the most involved process just to see what it's like. Not to say that I would do yeah. it all the time, but yeah, I don't know. I just feel like it helps you learn more about the process, learn more about the coffee and whatnot. I don't know. What about you? This is one that you know how to do, but I would love to get an AeroPress and, and just use that. Oh, for real? Yeah, what, yeah. Have you ever used one? Yeah. No. Dang. I, I've held one in my hands. Like, like That's the first brew that most people get. Really? I, at least in, in my experience, yeah. Like When, when I first started getting into coffee... Um, I told my soon-to-be roommate, uh, he, he's super into coffee, and um, oh. yeah, I told him about it, and the first thing he got me for Christmas that year was AeroPress, and then usually, you know, oh. when I'm like reading online and stuff, people are like, yeah, you should get an AeroPress if you're trying to step up your coffee game. Um, yeah. So that's interesting, but yeah, yeah, so why, why, why the AeroPress? Uh, it just looks cool. It's like futuristic looking, mm-hmm. and... Um... I, I've heard that it's easy to clean um, and that it, it makes a really good cup of coffee. Is it not easy to clean? <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, actually, it is super easy. So um, it's it's kind of hard to describe what it's like if people have never seen it. But it's kind mm-hmm. of like a big syringe in some ways yeah, without the yeah. needle part. Um, and it's just kind of flat. It's like a really big, and then you push push it down. Um, it's supposed to, I think, simulate kind of an espresso draw with the pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, not mm-hmm. not exactly, but yeah, I would say with the AeroPress, I still use it from time to time. Um, fun facts: the AeroPress was made by a frisbee company, um, Aerobi. Oh, um, yeah, it's just like one of the things oh. they 
I I don't know how that story went, but yeah, it's like a toy company, and then they also make the AeroPress, which is one of the most popular coffee brewers. But anyways, yeah, it gotcha. usually like you know, say if I didn't make cold brew with those like mediocre beans, I would probably actually use the AeroPress because I think it's mm. much more forgiving um, in terms of right the flavors. So yeah, it's it's really simple and it's also i think also another reason people recommend it a lot is for travel um Mm -hmm. it kind of it stores pretty compacts within itself um and you can take it Mm -hmm. wherever and you don't need you don't need a special kettle or anything you can just kind of use any normal um any normal kettle you don't need a gooseneck and i think that's why people recommend it although i used it one time in traveling and to be honest it was a little bit of a hassle. Uh, it could be just because mm-hmm. I'm used to the pour over, where it's just like the one thing, and then you pour in the water, and when you're done, you just throw right. the whole filter and grounds out. And the AeroPress, yeah. there's a couple more parts, um, so well, that moving could be parts. But in terms of what you need to bring, it's definitely much more compact than other methods. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, you, mm. you should check it out. I mean, AeroPress is pretty good. It's fun too. I think is part of it. Like I know. They they have a bunch of different coffee competitions, you know, around the world and whatever. And like, um, I think if people don't know that much about coffee and they went and saw like one of the videos of someone presenting, it would embody like everything that coffee snob would embody. It's like this like ten, <laughs> fifteen minute presentation about all right. this stuff, the background of the coffee, you know, temperature of the water, like all this stuff. That's usually how the competitions go. But I've seen the videos mm-hmm. of the AeroPress competition, and they don't do any of that stuff. It's basically just like, they just kind of <laughs> do their thing, they brew it however they want, people taste it, and they just kind of give their thoughts. So it's just kind of like more fun, right. it's less um, technical, so maybe it's on, on like a different mm-hmm. end of the spectrum. But yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's something pretty solid. I still come back to it from time to time. Very nice. Well, I will think about picking it up at my local coffee shop. All right, so are you ready to go on to the Westworld episode? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah. All right, let's do it. So today we're talking about episode two of Westworld, Chestnut. Um, Just to give you guys a quick gist of the episode. Um, In this episode, we're introduced to a new character named William, who enters Sweetwater with his debaucherous friend, Logan. Two completely different personalities are experiencing the fantasy world, while crazy things start to happen behind the scenes in the company. Maeve, the saloon prostitute, plays a bigger role in this episode, and she's becoming more self-aware, just like Dolores. The park staff take her into operations, and Maeve wakes up mid-surgery and sees all of her Sweetwater hosts being cleaned up. At the same time, Bernard and Elsie are growing more concerned about the reveries, and we find out about Bernard's relationship with Teresa. Before the end of the episode, we're shown Ford and Bernard walking toward a cross-shaped or cross-topped marker, which Ford hopes to use to bring a deeper narrative to Sweetwater. So what do you think about the episode? So overall, I mean, I, I liked it. I think it was cool because in the first episode, they did a lot of the world building, a lot of the introductions. Like these are all the different parts of the story, you know, the hosts, mm-hmm. the people running the park, you know, et cetera. Um, but I think a lot of, at least for my questions, I think I was like, oh yeah, I wonder what it's like for the guests, you know? And they really kind of brought that up in this one where they kind of, they, they showed the perspective of you know William and his friend riding in on the train and whatnot and like what it's like yeah. when they first get in there 
they have this whole closet wardrobe of everything that fits them, you know, and right. whatever they want to wear, whatever they want to use. Um, so, yeah, I think that's pretty cool yeah. just to see that experience. And also, especially because for William, it was the first time he was going through it. And for us, mm-hmm. it was also the first time we were seeing mm-hmm. it. So, you know, he was right. like surprised and like, because he, I think he's portrayed as a little more reserved, maybe a little more like kind of mm-hmm. nerdy type of guy. And so for mm-hmm. him, he's not just like all in with it, but he's a little more hesitant. And so I think also for us, as we're experiencing it for the first time, that's also kind of, kind of at least my feel. Um, and I think that's mm-hmm. also how I, I would be um, going if that, that was in, in my um, experience. Yeah. William definitely has more of a moral center to him. Yeah. Like he was questioning things. Yeah, yeah. And I think that kind of comes up a bit in this episode. But yeah, as a whole, too, just kind of keeping it broad. Um, this episode reminded me that Westworld is a TV show, not a movie. Like, and what, what I mean by that is like the first episode was like crazy amazing, like 10 out of mm-hmm. 5 stars, in my opinion, like mm-hmm. Is, mm-hmm. Is, is amazing. And then this episode is not to say it wasn't great. It was still really good, but they definitely slowed the pace down a lot. Um, mm-hmm. And they kind of have to. They can't keep up the same level from that. They just kind of draw you in with that first pilot episode. And now they kind of mm-hmm. take it slow and develop the different themes and plot points, which which is good. Um, right. But yeah, but definitely it, it felt a lot slower. I think part of me initially kind of had these high expectations. I was like, man, every episode is going to be like this. It's going to be amazing. And it's still really good, so I still really liked it. But I think, yeah, you notice it's a slower pace for sure. But mm-hmm. yeah, so that's kind of my some of my initial thoughts. Uh, what What do you think about the episode? So I would definitely agree with you in that it wasn't as good as the first episode. Chestnut to me was a little bit like jumping the shark. If you've heard that term before, I just felt like it it became kind of convoluted and it showed a lot of things that I did not expect for them to show until later in the season. Mm-hmm. Like having another host become um, sentient and, and showing more humanity as well. Whereas in the first episode, the main focus was on Dolores being uh, more human uh, also her dad, but mainly it was focused around Dolores Um or I mean, not not her being more human, but I mean, you could tell that the story was focusing around her, and then it goes to Maeve, and then she becomes more human and more self-aware, and then she goes into the operations. She wakes up and she sees all that stuff. I was almost like, wow, they're like already blending these two uh-huh. worlds together. Like they're already bringing Sweetwater to the uh, developing to the you know the company. And um, to me, that was a little bit like jumping the shark. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I thought that was kind of interesting choice, too. I I didn't expect her to see um, all the different things and all the all the all the people and whatnot. So I don't know. Um, I think I saw that um, progression. I guess like I think is one of the first scenes. I think it's between Bernard and like his assistant or whatever that that girl is, um, and yeah, they, the younger one. Yeah, yeah. They, they talk about something about like it being contagious, like the 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 bug or something, like mm-hmm, the glitch that mm-hmm. they had. Like uh, the the girl kind of makes this um, implication is like 
yeah, maybe like they're infecting each other. You know, Bernard kind of shrugs it off like a joke or something like that. Um, and right. then, but then, like thinking back on that, I was like, oh, is that what's happening actually? Because mm. uh, like Dolores's dad says that line, you know, um, was violent delights have violent. Um, no, I'm, I'm totally messing up the quote, but you know, yeah, I think, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, the the Shakespeare line, um, essentially. Yes. Um. So he says that to her, and then she starts kind of acting up, and she kills the fly, and then mm-hmm. she says that line to Maeve. To Maeve, yep. Yeah, and then she starts kind of um malfunctioning or becoming more self aware, if you will. So yeah, I don't yeah. know if there's some sort of something like that they're trying to imply mm-hmm. but like written in the code maybe yeah 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 i, I mm-hmm. don't know what was going on i i felt actually kind of confused throughout the episode at different points mm-hmm. like mave has all these like dreams or nightmares mm-hmm. slash mm-hmm. flashbacks i'm like is right. this something that happened like i don't i mean it has to be something that happened i guess since yeah it, it wouldn't be something in the future so overall i was like right. kind of confused at different parts throughout the episode. Well, I wonder if it it could also be a um, flash forward because there was that one scene where she's hiding in the cabin where the um, savage is about to go and cut her head off. Yeah. But he changed the savage changes to the man in the black hat and he starts to cut her head off. Mm-hmm. So either the man in the black hat had done that to her before or it's going to happen later on in the season because he's been decapitating people and looking at maps, you know, mazes yeah. under people's heads. So I wonder if he's trying to eventually get to her and see what's under her head. I don't know. Going back to what you said about it being contagious, I thought it was interesting. I did a little research about MRSA, which is yeah. what the doctors said they found in Maeve's stomach. And apparently MSRA, I guess, is has something to do with like virus or infections. Um, and uh, I read somewhere online that it had something to do with like, like flies or something like flies are attracted oh, to it. I don't know. Weird. Yeah. And, and then it goes back to that scene with uh, Dolores slapping the fly on her face in the uh, surgery scene. They talked about how like, Oh, it's like, Oh, something, something. Oh, I'm very hygienic, and the guy was asking about like, is that why there's all these flies here? Oh, so there seems to be like this theme with you know like the flies and and um and like you know possibly the spread of some disease you know which also could relate to like contagion or some or like the reveries or this error that Dolores is having being contagious. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I definitely did not catch that when I when I first watched the episode. Um, yeah, my my first thought is just like yeah, when 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 they were like operating on her and stuff, and they're like oh yeah, she's uh, infected with this you know whatever infection. My first thought was mm-hmm. like oh the host can get sick, like actually sick, oh. you know, with diseases yeah. that humans get. Um, right. So I I think that's just. Because, again, we, we talked about it a bit on the first episode, but, like, you know, we, we say they're robots or something, but really it's it's beyond uh, what our comprehension mm-hmm. of robots are. To, I mean, to the point right. where, like, they get infections, not just in their code, which is also happening, but also, mm-hmm. like, physically they get sick. Organically. Yeah, organically, yeah. There's just yeah. this level of 
quote unquote life, I guess. Like fragility. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, they're not, they, you know, they can die, I guess, or they can get sick. Yeah. 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 Which is interesting. And then I, I kind of, it's like a, a small thing, I think from the first episode too, they, the way they decommission them is by giving them lobotomies. Um, so they, they kind of like Ooh. drill up in the nose and like mess up with their brain, you know? I mean, I'm no, right, I'm right, no right. doctor, but you know, that's <laughs> my understanding. Very, um, very Wikipedia. But anyways, right. that's, <laughs> yeah. So it's interesting. They don't just like flip a switch and turn them off. But but then they're mm-hmm. all still like standing in the room, so I and that's kind of confusing. But they increasingly just have more and more characteristics of being human, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. more than just physically. But throughout these two episodes, I think it's just kind of revealing, like biologically um, and, and whatnot, like they are more alike us than we originally might have thought. So mm-hmm. yeah, I just find that very very interesting. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it kind of goes back to the question we had um, last time about what makes you a human. Like, um, if you get sick, does it make you a human? If you're self-aware, does it make you a human? Mm. Um, If you have emotions, does it make you a human? Like, I think in this episode, it's kind of hit all those three things. Like, you see Maeve getting sick. Um, You see, like, all her different emotions, like, either in the flashbacks or in the present when she gets all freaky with the different guests. And then also, like, being self-aware. I mean, she totally saw, um, you know, all those other hosts, and that freaked her out. And then kind of understanding, like, you know, the life I live in Sweetwater is not all there is. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I can't imagine her not um, taking anything away from that shocking experience. Yeah, I appreciate how they basically are showing, allowing us to experience um, the various characters' perspectives you know, from the host slowly getting awareness to, you know, the guests coming in and whatnot. So, yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's just one of those, like, you you, you kind of have to sympathize with them, or, or maybe not. You know, we, we kind of talked about that, too, last time. For me, just like, wow, this is more than I feel like any human could bear. So mm-hmm. I don't, but then they have to go through it all the time. Right. So you either, like, mentally check out, or you um, kind of let the emotions take over, which I think is what Mae was kind of struggling with. This episode was, you know, like when she, when Teddy gets shot, like Teddy's always getting shot. Yeah. But like when Teddy got shot in this episode, she just kind of like wiped his blood off and walked away. You know, she wasn't like, mm. oh, my God, Teddy, you died again. <laughs> like she just kind of walked away. But then um, when she, I think, starts interacting with this other guy, she uh, has that flashback, you know, or... Or she took a drink. She took a drink and then she had a flashback, mm. you know? So, um, you know, on the one hand, she's covering it up pretty well. But on the other hand, like, she can't get past these traumatic memories that she has. And also, maybe there's some things happening in the environment, like the uh, the things that the hosts tell each other. Or even maybe there's something in the water. Maybe there's something they're drinking mm. um, that's making them, uh, you know, flip out. Yeah. I don't know. So many questions. Yeah. So, um, do we really care about the man in the black hat? I mean, like, do you feel like he is a significant part of the story? Or, like, what do you think his significance is, if anything at all? Uh, right now, for me, he's he's a person that intrigues me, but is definitely not uh, crucial to the story quite yet. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's interesting. You know, we we get William in this episode, who's like this first time comer, and like you kind of get his experience with it. But then um, mm-hmm. this, you know, man in in the black hat, he he's been playing this for you know so long. So he's on the other end right. of the experience level. So I I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm just like intrigued. Like yeah, like what happens when someone is so engrossed with this Westworld uh, place mm-hmm. that they are they've been there for so long, um, and they just they basically are going beyond what the basic game or whatever park experience is. So I'm kind of intrigued right. on that end, uh, but in terms of the story, the main story that I feel, I, I don't think he's super um, important, but although he definitely played a big part in the second episode where they just showed a lot more of his, I guess, quest um, to try to figure yeah. out the deeper level of the game. Right, um, right. Yeah, I feel like, like, side note on him, because because the, the guests can't be hurt, and, like, you know, they... Obviously, the when, when the when the hosts shoot them, they're like, "Oh, they're not getting shot!" Like, and they freak out. Like, that's very. I'm sure that feels cool. It's like when you put in the cheat codes on on the video game yeah. to be like God mode, um, right? But like, he's been doing that for so long. I feel like I get bored. Um, but mm-hmm. may, maybe that's why he's doing what he's doing. But yeah, yeah, and he goes and just kills like hordes of people. But for him, I guess the other point that's very interesting to me is that the um corporate people are watching him like i think in the first mm-hmm. episode i just thought he was just kind of going rogue and doing his own thing mm-hmm. but then mm-hmm. uh, there's a scene in the second episode where they have him on the camera and then one of the people asks the i think the security guy or something is like oh yeah. should we slow him down he already killed mm-hmm. a bunch of hosts and then the security mm-hmm. guy is like nah this man gets whatever he wants so yep, it's, I know exactly what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. So it's very interesting to me. He's like, oh, they're actually watching him do all of this. Mm-hmm. Like they, he's, you know, ripping people's scalps off and like finding mm-hmm. these things. So it's like, oh, is this actually just a narrative they wrote for him to experience, or like what? Mm. What are they doing? You know, because they they see right. him doing this, which is not the typical um, behavior, I guess. Mm-hmm. But, I guess, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's, it's kind of interesting. Um, so I don't know where it's right. going yet. So I feel like it's not quite core to what I feel like is yep. my main um, interest in the story. But I mean, it's one of those side things. I'm like, oh yeah, where where are they going to take it? But yeah, that's kind of mm-hmm. kind of my take. I don't. Know, what, what what are your thoughts on this guy? I I agree with you. I, I think he's not central to the story right now, but he could be like an end game kind of person. Like we're showing, we're we're being shown bits and pieces of this guy's quest, and maybe it'll all make sense at the end of the season, like how his path might converge with Ford's path, or how his path might converge with, um, the the idea that these hosts are becoming sentient. Sentient, I don't know, uh, but he does feel his his quest, like his his awesome quest, does feel kind of disposable. And like something he said that I think ties into the the bigger theme of, of this episode. Um, I don't remember where he said it, but basically in reference to Westworld, the, the man in black said this line. Um, it said, he says, I was born here. Um, mm-hmm. So I found that very interesting because 
basically yeah. throughout this episode, um, they're presenting this this theme of identity. Um, mm-hmm. I think in the beginning, like they're trying. I, I think William's friend is like people become who they are. Like here, they like discover themselves, mm-hmm. and he's like, "You learn who you are." Yeah, yeah. he's like, "Oh, I'm interested to see who you become, William." You know, and then <laughs> this, this man in black says, "Like I was born here," so it's like. Yeah, what is the greater purpose of this of, of Westworld? But even greater uh-huh. than that is like what, what, um, what questions or like what does it reveal about our own identity based on on what mm-hmm. they do? So yeah, so I feel like that's kind of one of the main parts of the episode. So mm-hmm. yeah, that that actually made me feel like the uh, the man in the black hat and Ford are definitely going to converge at some point because just as he said that he was born in Westworld, we meet that little boy with Ford who seems to be like a child version of him. Yeah, that's exactly what I thought too. Right? And it could almost be said since Ford is a creator of Westworld, he was basically born into it as well. Mm. So I I would just be very, because they almost seem like yin and yang too. Yeah. You know, like Ford is... Kind of, you know, he's got like white hair, gray hair. You know, he's, I think when he was walking in the desert, I don't know if he had a hat, but it could have been white. Mm. And then the man in the black hat's hat is obviously black. And that was that whole thing in the beginning, too. You choose a black hat or you choose a white hat. Yeah. So, yeah, too deep, too deep, yeah, man. Very, uh, very so much to say. I don't know. So I, I think, I think right now the show's still like trying to get us to ask or think about the question is like, yeah, what's the purpose of this place? Mm-hmm. Um, like going back to the first episode when the lady uh, Teresa from Corpus, like, yeah, this is one thing to to the shareholders, you know, it's one thing to um, the corporate leadership or whatever. And now I feel like they're mm-hmm. kind of building on that too. Is just like, um, what is the purpose that this serves? Um, I think they really get into that when that head writer is really trying to write this new narrative into the story. Yeah. Like he's making, he's, he's having them make all these new hosts and like, uh, he's writing this huge story that he's super excited about. Um, (laughs) and like he kind of, he does this pitch to everybody. Yeah. And has a conversation with Ford and, you know, the writers like this allows the people to get to know themselves. And then Ford has this response is, is like, that's not why people come because people know who they are. And mm-hmm. he says this place allows them to get a glimpse of who they could be. Um, so, mm. and like, I don't know if either of them are necessarily wrong, at least in my opinion right now. So I think it, mm-hmm. it's just kind of like showing is like the impact and purpose of, of this place is really deep um, and pretty nuanced. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're Ford, you know, he made it. I think he would probably have a positive outlook on it. Then other people, right. obviously, like, it seems like most of the guests we've seen just go there just to go crazy, you know? Like, it's like, why you play a video mm-hmm. game is because like, you can do whatever you want. Now they're doing right, that right. there. Um, and that seems to be what the writer is really um, aligning himself with. But... Yeah, I don't know. I feel like he's, hmm. he's just presenting that question. Is like, why why this place? Why this whole thing? Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. I mean, just to see, like, Ford is doing so much, I feel like. Like, his role that he sees himself is really, I mean, 
he's the creator of this place and he's really trying to continue to improve it, bring it to this new level and like shield it from just becoming some like video game. It seems like, Mm. and like he Mm -hmm. wants to give it a deeper purpose. And like the reason he wants to do that isn't so clear yet. Um, but I feel like he probably has Mm -hmm. his own like personal ulterior motives in it too. Um, Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm not sure if there's a whole lot more to say. I think we could definitely analyze a lot of these things much deeper. The nice thing is we can leave things unanswered and come back to them later. That's right, just like the show. <laughs> so confused. So the last segment in our podcast is what's making you happy this week. So, Dill, what's making you happy this week? Yeah, uh, this weekend I just had some family come visit us. Um so I am originally from Utah, and my dad's side of the family is still all out there. So I had a couple aunts and uncles, some cousins. They all came out um, this weekend just to visit my family. So uh, we got to go around, show them in, around Dallas. Uh, most of them haven't been here before. So, you know, ate a bunch of food, ate dessert multiple times throughout the day, ate some good barbecue, oh, yeah. ate some oh, pie. Yeah. You know, this how it goes. A lot of Chinese mm-hmm. food just because... That's all my parents like to eat, but you know, I, I try to, I try to be like, hey, you know, let's go eat some barbecue, eat some tacos or something, fried chicken. Yeah. Um, but then we still had Asian food like half the time, which is fine. I like Asian food, and, and Dallas has pretty good Asian food too, so so it's, it's not a big deal. But oh yeah, yeah, it's always good to see family. Um, I'm pretty bad at keeping up with my family and just friends in general. I'm just like that guy mm-hmm. that like if I don't see you all the time, we probably haven't talked since we last saw each other. Um, so yeah, like actually, my family in Utah. I went back this past Christmas, and it was my first time going back for Christmas in six years. Um, oh wow! I like I went in high school. I did not go through college, and then I went now that I'm in grad school. Um, yeah. So it, it took a very long time. So hopefully, try to change that. Um, it's kind of one of those jokes with my cousins. Is like, yeah, hopefully don't see you in six years. You know, hopefully see you a little bit sooner than that. <laughs> That's so sad. It's one of those sad but true. I'm like, <laughs> awkward laugh, sad laugh. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it, it's good. It's always good to see family. I, I think I'm. It's easy for me to kind of forget about that. Like, cause you know, I, I'm an only child. Grew up with just my parents mm. and my family were a little bit further away in a different city. So it's like easy for me to forget. Like the importance and even um, the happiness of just being with family. So, yeah, that's definitely making me really happy. Um, Yeah. Yeah. What about you? What's making you happy this week, Joe? Oh, you know, just being back in the States and um, getting back into the swing of things. You know, I I love being on vacation, but I'm glad being back at work and um, being back in school. Um, The kids are coming back in about 10 days. So that'll be um, a nice little change, uh, probably a shock to my system uh, when I see them all run in, <laughs> um, screaming, um, crying probably also. Mm. Um, and also just uh, being able to be back at home, like I'm cooking again, um, being able to um, get some R&R and uh, listening to music. So, you know, I like to listen to a lot of records and recently I went to the yeah. record store, I bought some more. So it's just been, it's been good to be back home. So uh, I'm I'm happy about that. 
Oh, nice. What's uh, what's one of the records you picked up? I picked up, I think, five records uh, just today. One of my favorites is probably the Debussy album. It was like a compilation of classical music from Debussy. Debussy um, composed the um, uh, Claire de Lune song. Mm, cool. You know, the da, da. I can't even. I can't. Yeah, do it. You, you can but, sing the whole thing. It's okay. <laughs> it, okay. It could be our yeah, new um, outro music. <clears throat> Uh, no. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I'm happy about that. Nice, nice. Yeah, how's Japan, dude? Japan was amazing. I um, need to go again. Yeah. And probably with some friends. So you or anyone else listening to this podcast yeah, man. is invited. Let's go. I'm down. <laughs> Let's go. All right. Thanks, as always, for brewing with us on the pour-over. Can't wait to see what happens to Sweetwater Gang on the next episode and uh, what that cross shrine is all about. Also, we'll be bringing you more coffee news and different banter on the next episode of our podcast. We're still kind of fiddling around with the structure, trying to figure out what works. Um, So, yeah, bear with us. And if you have any thoughts, feel free to email us or reach out. I'll talk to you all later. This was the Pour Over Podcast brought to you by Joe and Dill. You can email us at pouroveshow at gmail.com and tweet us at at pourover underscore show. Artwork by Daniel Liu and music was done by Joshua Yin. You can listen to his other tracks on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash kidmajestic, one word. Thanks for joining us and take care.